This is a Brain Tools Tools episode, a 20-minute cutback version of our full podcast where you walk away with six practical brain tools you can use to hack your brain and level up today. If you want more of the neuroscience and research behind the tools, you can find the full version of this episode on Spotify, iTunes, and at the link below. But for now, it's time to get your six brain tools. This is the part of the show I know you've been waiting for, the practical, implementable brain tools that you can use today to start conquering your fear, to manage it, to really mitigate its effect and impact on your life. And Kieran, I know you had some a context to how these brain tools work and, and help understand people why they work. So maybe it's best to start with that. Great handball, Sammy. Yeah, I think with the brain tools we're about to give you, and I think it's the same context as to last week, this whole notion of neuroplasticity. And I was doing a bit of research for this episode, and there's this guy called Dr. Andrew Huberman. He was actually the person that's sort of leading the Stanford team. And he has this awesome phrase that I think Norman Doig would love when the book, you know, the brain changes itself. And it's called self-directed adaptive plasticity. Now it sounds really wanky. I've got to be honest yeah, with you. <laughs> break that down a little bit. That side is complicated. So all it means is you can change your brain by taking action. And, and the key thing is that inaction is is not actually the way that you want to go about this. And you've got this whole idea of controlled exposure to fear stimuli, as you said, which helps you update your neural architecture. And I think we've been constantly convinced that when you're an adult, you can't change your brain. It's false. You totally can. But the barrier to entry to changing your brain is a lot more difficult because you've got a lot of preconceptions. And I think the key thing here to understand is the difference between what you think is real versus what actually is real. And a way I normally try and think about it is you want your actual, what actually is minus what you think it is to be zero. That means that you're idea of reality is at base level one. And when you do this, you have a really clear understanding of actually changing and having control over what you're going to do. And that's the classic case when it comes to fear is Seneca. One of the, one of the greats. I know you love him, Sam and listeners. If you have it, Seneca's letters of a stoic are great all about stoicism. If he says, and I'm going part of the quotes today, if you would not have a human flinch when the crisis comes, train them before it comes by Seneca. And this whole idea of simulation, of practice, of exposing yourself to things means that when the time actually arrives, it's okay. It's normal. That's why in the military, as an example, it's simulation after simulation after simulation. And I think that's where I want to pass over to you, Sam, in terms of your first brain tool, which is incredibly practical from an identification point of view. So I think we dive in. Yeah, I love that. And it's something the Navy SEALs always say is that we don't rise to our level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training, right? It's the, that's just the way we respond as humans in stressful situations. And I want to talk about the first brain tool I'm going to give you is how you can control fear in the micro in that very moment you're experiencing it, doing something really, really simple. Write down your emotion. What happens is when you write down your emotion in the exact word, you pull away resources away from the brain responsible for fear, the amygdala, and you shift them to the prefrontal cortex and the language areas of your brain, the language processing areas, Broca's and Wernick's area, and it actually reduces the fear response. And they have done some research on this where they basically got a whole bunch of people into a lab um, and they stressed them out. They gave them really stressful stimuli, like uh, really scary images, things they were afraid of, 
maybe it was heights for someone like Kieran. And then they asked them to write down in their own words, the exact emotion they felt. And the important part is to write down the emotion, the word for the emotion, where that was stressed, panicked, uh, worried, frightened. And what they found using uh, fMRI scanning the brains was activity in the amygdala reduced while activity in the PFC and other parts of the brains increased and their, their physiological fear response, which they measure by skin conductance, the, the stress response reduced. Crazy, crazy, crazy. That's massive. Because what you're saying, which I find really interesting, is that just the simple act of noting the emotion mm-hmm. means that like, it's almost as if your PFC, your CEO is being engaged that, through that act of writing, which means that, as you said, it's sort of increasing mm-hmm. the activity in that part of the brain. And then, oh, then the CEO, the bouncer is taming the limbic system, the, the animal that sometimes runs wild. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's, it's such an easy one to do. This is the brain tool when you are feeling stressed or when you are experiencing a fear response, get out a piece of paper, get out a pen and in your own word, write the emotion down. And that process of turning the emotion into language circumvents and short, shortcuts and short circuits the fear response. So that's my first one, which actually leans really well into your first brain tool which is all about words too, in a different way. For, for sure. And I think my first one as a high level is to document all the stories that you tell yourself. And mm-hmm. Sam, I think it was a really interesting point. You talk about emotion. And as we're mm-hmm. talking with the listeners, you've got to ask yourself, like, how does my emotion manifest itself? And it normally manifests itself through story. But the story is not that we just tell other people, but the stories that we tell ourselves. And I'm, got, I'm a quote machine today, Sammy, but Richard Feynman, um, who I love, Mobile Prize uh, winning laureate again, he said, the first principle is that you must not fool yourself and you are the easiest to fool. And that whole idea of self-delusion is really, really pronounced. We tell our stories, self stories, that obviously based on this emotion that convinces us of not taking action. And it comes that self-fulfilling, self-fulfilling prophecy that leads us not to do anything. And so to get really, really practical, if it's take Sam's idea of noting the emotion from a recognition standpoint, ask yourself, what stories do I tell myself based on fear? And Mm. to get really practical, and I can share this with you. I've started uh, recently with one of my mates, Ollie, who I'm reconnecting with in Melbourne. And he introduced me to this whole idea of IFS and it's called internal family systems. For those that haven't, um, don't know much about it, I'll put it in the show notes, but it's just basically a form of uh, therapy. Um, And it basically posits that you, the whole is made up of parts and those parts are personalities and you want to talk to those individual parts. So for me, one of my individual parts I've got is the analytical part. If you haven't noticed already, which is this clear, like, you know, (laughs) Sam's laughing because he knows this in our meetings. It's like, Kieran, you, you bloody robot. What are you doing? Analyzing everything. You guys, you guys should say the Google Docs we have. The, <laughs> the analysis is incredible. But uh, this whole idea of IFS and the principle I want to give you mm. practically is find a person that you trust, genuinely trust, and actually schedule into your calendar every single week for 30 to 30 minutes, maybe to an hour, and actually speak about the stories that you might tell yourself. And I've done this with Ollie over the past two weeks. And over the, the first one was a bit awkward. The second one was so much easier because I got used to the discussion point, but that self-awareness feedback loop of actually saying, Hey, what I think is versus what actually is, is so far removed that it gives you that context to be like, Hey, maybe this story isn't beneficial to me. Maybe it's based on fear and the fear is all inside my head. As Naval Ravikant says, it's not peace of mind. It's peace from mind. And I think that becomes a really important tool that we can link. Hopefully for you as listeners, noting the emotion, but looking at what the story is that is 
manifested as a result of that emotion. Totally. Can I add a tiny bit of color, con- uh, color commentary to that? Some context. So self, you talked about self prophecies or self fulfilling prophecies. There is actually a brain mechanism that lives inside your head that make these a reality. And it's called the reticular activating system or the RAS. And what its function is to do is to confirm evidence of things you already believe or think. So as Kieran says, if you're having these fear conditioned memories, responses and thoughts or narratives, your RAS will look for information that confirms these exist. It's called confirmation bias. There's a whole bunch of research on it. And this is why it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because your brain starts to discredit information that disagrees with this viewpoint that says, no, Kieran, you're not afraid of this while actively seeking out information that says, yes, Kieran, you are afraid of this. And that's where the perpetual cycle comes in. It's not, it's not us talking about it. It's a function of your brain, the self-fulfilling prophecy. Super, super interesting. And I think, I think it's really important that we note on this one that Sammy and I aren't psychiatrists and we're not psychologists Mm. and we're not going to sit here and say that you should do this to solve something like post-traumatic stress disorder, right? There's obviously professionals for that. I think where we're coming from here is in the moment, in the everyday capacity, um, using it as a tool or having it as a tool or mechanism that you can use, as opposed to saying, this is going to be the silver bullet that solves some deep rooted problems. And I just want to, I know it's a classic disclaimer, but I want to be really yes. mindful about that for Love people it. that are, that are listening to say that we're not, this is not medical advice. So this is not psychology <laughs> advice. This is just what's worked for us. If you need help, go and get help. Yep. We are, we are, we're not professionals in this space. We're just suggesting a couple of things you can do that are practical to help in the moment or from the research uh, and, and whether or not they work is going to be dependent on you and how you use them. And if you do need help, I encourage you reach out, get therapy, get professional help because it'll be much more tailored to your situation. But I want to talk about my next brain tool, number two. which was brain tool number two and related to my own experience and situation. Um, and it was exposure therapy or brain tool two, baby steps. And the idea behind this one is whatever you're afraid of, You want to expose yourself in small, tiny ways that don't induce a massive fear response to that stimulus or to that certain situation or environment and over time increase your exposure. And what this does is it kind of rewires your brain and retrains your brain to decrease that threat response in response to this situation or circumstance. And I'll give you a personal example. I'm ready. I used to be terrified of talking to strangers in public It made me really nervous. I was that little boy who wouldn't even talk to a cashier. I'd get my sister who was two years younger than me to go in and order for me. I couldn't call up shops. I I really couldn't engage with people who I didn't know. I was terrified. Um, And I knew this was a bit of a problem for me. So when I started going through university and acknowledged that, hey, this is definitely not a way I can go throughout life. I don't have someone there all the time to talk to random cashiers for me. I started using a bit of exposure therapy, which is based in uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. It's a really well-established discipline. And I started getting small bits of exposure. So maybe it was a couple of words exchanged with a cashier or someone I was talking to at a shop front. And then I'd expand that out to a couple more words the next week uh, with some people uh, at like a bus stop or a train stop. And eventually over time, I exposed myself to the point where I was having casual conversations with people I'd never met. And I went from being terrified of talking to someone on the phone who was taking my order, which is not a stressful situation for 95% of the population to being able to talk to almost anyone in any situation purely by exposing myself in baby steps to that situation, which was causing me stress. 
That's huge, mate. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you and level. I didn't know this, but no, it's so it's pretty, it's pretty nuts to think like we're doing a podcast now. We're having conversations. I seen you interact with other people. And the fact that this was mm-hmm. something that was pretty crippling for you, it, it's really surprises me. And I think that raises a huge point, which is like, we don't, just because people have an outward appearance doesn't necessarily mean that's consistent with what's going on inside. Totally, totally agree. Um, and I, I know this for, to be true with so many people I know who appear externally confident, but are often dealing with debilitating fear or anxiety um, as I was in that situation. And this really leads into how you can expand that fear. So my brain tool is get exposure over time, baby steps, but expanding out what you're comfortable with. Kieran, did you have a brain tool for that? Oh, yes, I do. And it links Ooh, so nicely. I don't we're, know. We're sinking. We're sinking. Um, my number two is, uh, I'm going to talk about Seneca a bit as well, but it's to practice discomfort once a week. Mm. And I think what Seneca in his letters talks a lot about is that poverty is both a mindset and a condition. And he talks a lot about the conditions or the environments of what poverty is. And he's got a quote here because I don't want to, um, I don't want to just get it wrong and I need to attribute it to it. But he basically says, Um, set aside a certain number of days during which you shall be content with the scantiest and cheapest fare with coarse and rough dress saying to yourself the while, is this the condition that I fear? And I think that is so interesting that he would practice poverty, if you will, every single week. So he would, he wouldn't sleep on his bed. For example, he'd sleep on the floor. He'd wear the scantiest clothes and ask himself that if this is meant to be the worst situation, the worst situation or one of the, how bad actually is it? And again, it's that whole idea of correcting what you think it is versus what it actually is. Mm. And to get really, really, really practical, you need to just be mindful of the mind, the way your brain plays tricks on you. Now, to get super practical on how you could do this, um, for me from personal experience, I remember trying this when I was really getting into stoicism. And all I do to start is twice a week, I'd sleep on my floor. Um, Instead of my bed, I'd sleep on my floor. And I would literally just get used to that and realize, hey, look, maybe my neck hurts a little bit, but this isn't that bad. Right. And then I went a yeah. step further and instead of wearing like some nice clothes, sorry, mum, And thank you very much for getting them for me. But I would just literally just wear the same set of clothes over and over and over and over again. Um, just because like, Hey, if I only have two, this set of clothes and I had to wash them, I can. And I think getting experience with an alternate reality that might seem uncomfortable from a distance, but actually when you come to it, and you're right near it, it's not actually that bad. And I know this might seem like coming from a very privileged thing. It's like, we've got clothes, we've got all these things. There's a lot of people in the world that don't. But I think practicing that deliberately and to get practical, put that as a theme on your calendar. So quite literally putting it as a theme on my calendar is like, I know this is going to happen on a Saturday or a Sunday. Pick that day that you do this. And I think that then extends to something that Sam and I are thinking about for the Brain Tools community, but is sort of an idea of a 30-day discomfort challenge where we actually seek things that make us feel uncomfortable and we do it obviously as a community together, but it's a frequency part. What gets scheduled gets done. So if you do have something that you want to make you feel uncomfortable, put it in your calendar. If it's, you're going to actually do it, put it in there and practice it because as Sam said, over time, it's really important, the actual act itself. And then what becomes important is the frequency. So to bring the, the tool together, I suppose, is to practice that fear, practice that discomfort every single week because that exposure over time makes your expectation of reality go to zero. Crazy, crazy. So it's just like expanding out your fear comfort circle, so to speak, deliberately by scheduling it in. Spot on. Spot on, Sally. And uh, yeah, hopefully then on the other side, as we say, the good stuff is on the other side of that discomfort. Oh, yeah. Powerful. I I really, I I like that. I've had that uh, as my own personal experience of of practicing discomfort. I actually used to do fasts 
for a while. I do three day water only fasts. And I found afterwards, um, I just, I was more confident in myself over time because I knew I could do something as uncomfortable as that. Makes so much sense, mate. And to pass it on to you, I know you've been gnawing at the bit on this one. You came, oh, yeah. so just for the listeners, Sammy came to me with this, be like, Kieran, I've found something really recent research wise that you going to blow your mind. I haven't heard it yet. So he's been talking it up big time. I know he's going to deliver, but Sammy, what's your third and final brain tool that you want to share? Oh with? yeah. Brain tool number three. I'm so excited for this. It is really recent research. Uh, and it's called, counter conditioning and what it means and that sounds like a whole bunch of mumbo jumbo but here's the brain tool reward yourself for exposure to the thing that induces you fear but with just a picture reward yourself to what causes you fear with just a picture and i'll tell you why because research found that doing this short circuits the brand's brain's fear response and replaces it reroutes it towards a reward and there's a research that was done in, in 2016 by Kazumi et al. Um, in the nature of human behavior. And what they did was essentially they took an image. They took this photo. And then the image basically represented the, the fear-inducing uh, stimulus that the people in the experiment were exposed to. And they just took a photo of it that didn't have the same resonance. And it only kind of similarly replicated it. And they gave these people over five days, they gave them rewards for seeing this stimulus. And in, in this example, it was a red circle. And they, day one, they saw the red circle, they got a reward. Day two, they saw the red circle, they got a reward. Day three, by day five, when they showed the threat with the stimulus, they showed the image which was threatening, not the red circle, but the actual image itself. And they measured perspiration, skin conductance, and other measurements of stress and fear. The threat and fear response had just dropped drop yeah. through the floor. And these people, all they've been doing is looking at a photo and getting a reward. Crazy. It's so that they, they called it hacking the brain to overcome fear without exposure to that thing causing the fear. And here's the practical way you can do this. If you're afraid of something, whether that's, let's use spiders as an example. If you're afraid of spiders, what you could do is look at just a photo of a spider or maybe even a cartoon spider, something that doesn't cause you a massive threat or fear response and reward yourself for doing that. Eat a piece of chocolate. And if you do this over time, what happens is you rewire your brain circuit towards reward of that threat stimulus subconsciously, subconsciously without even having to feel afraid. Um, and I'll, I'll just quickly give you how I'm doing this personally. Thanks. I told you I was a little bit afraid of posting TikToks. What I've been doing is I've been watching people recently post TikToks and record TikToks. And then after watching that, I just eat a piece of chocolate. And I've found that now when I go to record a TikTok and post it, I have this weird thing where my brain thinks, oh, wow, this is good. I'm probably going to get a piece of chocolate. Like there's this reward, reward response in my brain and it's making it so much less scary for me, which is crazy. That's awesome, mate. Uh, one thing I'm going to say, mate, we've, one of us has already got diabetes. We don't need two of us having diabetes, this all right? So, <laughs> but the premise is very interesting. That whole idea of exposure through a visual and the pairing of reward, which it shows how very clearly, or, mm. and I, I'm mindful of conjecture, but there is a lot of research done in the role that dopamine plays within the fear response uh, in the limbic system. Yeah. So this whole idea of reward and fear being um, yeah, a very clear learned sort of you know, relationship or dichotomy is a really interesting one. I think that's very, very, very interesting. 
So crazy. And if I can say it in, in one sentence, right, this brain tool is figure out what you're afraid of. Look at photos of it or a visual representation that doesn't make you afraid and give yourself a reward. And doing that over time rewires your brain so you'll be less afraid of it. And you don't even have to do anything. That's huge. I love huge, it. Huge, which is crazy. And I know it kind of leads into the last brain tool you have for us, which I'm really excited about. And it's more about systems. Spot on. And I think the third one is trust, create and trust systems with people, not your willpower. Now, I know that's a long-winded one, but I'm going to break it down. Okay. Please give us uh, the details. And in preparing for our fourth episode, Sammy, which uh, is going to be on habits uh, and sort of Mm -hmm. routines, I was reading Atomic Habits by James Clear in preparation for it. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking about that in uh, next week's episode. So look out for it. And he's got a quote that is so, so similar to what you talked about with the Navy, Navy SEALs. But it just, again, it hit me. Quote, I think we need a quote count. I think this is quote 10, but yeah. <laughs> we should get paid by quotes. I would love some affiliate marketing quotes. If anyone does that out there, we are open to opportunities. <laughs> so the quote is as follows. People don't rise to their goals. They fall to their systems. That's by James Ooh. Clear. And it, and it really thought about it, like, which is that, sorry? Can you break that down a bit? I'm going to break it. So we yeah. always have a tendency with this whole idea. Let's just take fear as an idea. We think about uh, the ideal of where we want to be, right? And we think about setting all these goals. Like I want to overcome this. I want to do that. But we don't actually think about how we could design our life so that we are, again, exposed to things and we're actually acting on that. So the classic question that I'm asking yourself is like, if we want to overcome a fear, there's two parts. What's the system that you can create that if, if you fall over, if you fall over and your willpower is not there, which again, I think people, a massive misnomer is to rely on your willpower a lot. Don't rely on your system. What's the system that you can create? I'm going to get tangible in a second, but based on that system, then putting someone with that system. And that's what we call a social accountability. So for example, and this is a nice leeway into next week, but Sammy, if I wanted to run as a really clear example, um, and I was scared of running, I was scared of the exercise and the response that I was doing. There's a really practical system that I can create which is I can put my shoes right next to my bed, right? I might not mean I'll do it, but I'm going to increase the probability because going for a run is really hard. Putting on my shoes is not that hard, right? And you talked about that baby step. The next thing I could do is I could set three alarms. The next thing I could do is I could get Sam, Sammy, we might do this, to call me at seven o'clock. And the next thing I could do is say, hey, Sam, meet me here at 7.15. And you start to introduce social accountability component. And if there's one thing we've learned about human history, and I don't think this is a great thing, but it is what it is, is collective, collective suffering is a lot easier than individual suffering. And the whole idea of suffering together, right, and having someone there that can guide you is actually a really important part. So for all these tips we've spoken about, involving someone that you trust in the process means that if you fail to reach for the stars, at the very minimum, your mean your average, your systems get you there. And so you want to make sure you think about it. So getting really practical as a final one, once you've done that system and designed it, which we'll talk about next week, you track your progress. Mm. It's a wall tracker. It's ticking off so you have a positive feedback loop that, hey, I'm actually doing this over and over and over again. It could be just a calendar where you do X and you do the Seinfeld method, right? Where you start to build up this momentum. And hey, hey, presto, after seven times, eight times, habit, you've broken down those barriers. And hey, who knows? You might've overcome your fear. That's so, that's so powerful. Um, and I've actually used this without even realizing I was using it in my own life. Um, so for example, I, I used to, uh, the, the fittest I've ever been in my life was when me and a friend lived near each other's houses and we made each other sprint three times a week by just showing up at the other person's house. If I wake up before him, I'd show up at his house. If he wake up before me, he'd show up at my house. 
that's super interesting systems systems and like is a, a final one on that public speaking like i've i've been fortunate yeah. to train hundreds of people in public speaking based on the work that we do and one thing that we've built into the system is to always make sure that people are preparing in pairs and that they're doing it in pairs they're going back and forth they build a relationship so it becomes a safer space mm. and that's the whole idea and premise which i know we're going to speak in another episode of psychological safety which yeah. it, it creates that safety net so those those tools um that we've given hopefully are going to increase the probability of you overcoming your fears Totally. And just to wrap up those tools and uh, cover them again, my three were one, write down the emotion you're experiencing in the moment to reduce the fear response Two, baby steps. It's called exposure therapy in CBT and basically getting exposed to what makes you scared in tiny little minute ways and stair step up over time reduces that response. And three, uh, counter conditioning or reconditioning, which is look at an image, the thing that you're actually afraid of, something that doesn't trigger a big fear response and reward yourself for looking at it. And those are my three. What were your three kids? Rapid fire three. Number one, based on what Sammy said, document all the stories that you tell yourself. Stories are a manifestation of the emotion. Document the stories you tell yourself so that you are aware of them and you can overcome them. Number two yeah. is practice and seek discomfort once a week at the minimum. Take the absolute bare bones, sleep on the floor, do whatever you will that is considered discomfort and you'll realize very quickly it's not as bad as it seems. And the final one, number three, is create systems with social accountability. Don't trust yourself, and I mean that in the nicest way. Trust your systems because you'll always revert back to them. Love it. Super, super powerful. Uh, I think those are some really great brain tools people can start using today. Uh, as our episode outro to, to leave you with the 80, 20, what is the, the 20% you could do for 80% of the impact here? And what's your 80, 20 for this week? What do you think I'm going to go with? Oh, it's a quote. Shock 11. Oh, wow. <laughs> Shock and horror. I'm really, everyone's going to hate me after this, but I just, I'm going to quote scream Henry Ford this time. I want to leave you with this listeners. One of the greatest discoveries a person can make. One of their great surprises is that they find that they can do what they were afraid to do. Oh, powerful. I wish you? I had a quote like that. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, my own self-created quote, which has nowhere near the eloquence of Henry Ford. My simple 80-20 is when you are feeling scared, witless, write it down. Write down your feelings, write down your thoughts, your emotions particularly, label them because just doing this responses, just, just doing this reduces the fear response. So write it down. Journal. Here's a pen. Write it down. Here's the pen. Uh, thank you so much for joining us again for another episode of Brain Tools. Really excited for next week's episode, Kieran. What are we talking about next week? <laughs> I do know what we're going to be talking about uh, next week. I've got say. this right. We're going to be talking about habits uh, and routines and how yeah. you can obviously uh, build those uh, to live a better life. Super powerful and super relevant right now. I know a lot of people in my network, a lot of my friends and family are struggling with their routines and habits. So disrupted. So that's going to be amazing. Uh, look out for that coming up next week and also come and join us uh, in the, in our community, in our brain tools community, which you're going to hear a bit more information about just after this. And uh, that's about it for me for this week. Bye for this week. See you later guys. See you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this tools cut of our brain tools podcast, where you got just the six practical brain tools you can use to hack your brain and level up today. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe on any podcast channel you're on. 
iTunes, podcasts, Spotify, and more. And if you really, really want to help us out, please leave us a review. It helps us so much to reach more people just like you. And finally, if you want to go a little bit deeper and dig into the research, see some free classes and guides, come and join our free community at braintools.mn.co. Can't wait to see you next week.